Welcome to the Service Academy Sorority, a space where women that have graduated from the service academies can share their stories and build a sense of camaraderie and sisterhood. This episode features Michelle Thibault, a 2014 graduate from the U.S. Military Academy. In this episode, you'll hear Michelle talk about some tough lessons she had to learn about integrity and honor very early on during her time at the Academy, how she was able to overcome these hardships, not let them define her and graduate on a high note, and how she relentlessly puts herself out on a limb to pursue her interests and goals, both in the Army and beyond. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Can, can you start off by telling everyone where you're from, what school you went to, and when you graduated? Yeah, sure. I grew up in Sugarland, Texas, and graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point in 2014. Awesome. And can you give everyone one to two lines about who you are today? Uh, today, I am a wife, mother, and a contractor with a branch called DITRA, which is the Defense Threat Reduction Agency in Virginia. Nice, nice. All right, well, to start, um, so we can understand the whole journey to how you got there, uh, let's go back to the beginning when you were deciding where to go to college. What made you choose a service academy? And what made you specifically choose the United States Military Academy? Sure. It's, it's kind of a two-part story. And the first part is I really, really wanted independence from my family. I didn't want to have to owe anyone anything or pay anyone back. I didn't want loans. I didn't want, you know, to feel like I had to go visit my family over the holidays, although I, I definitely did. Um, and so I had known a few of the people at my high school who had enlisted and it was kind of in my eyes, this very intriguing way of not having to go to college, not having to, you know, apply and go through all of those stressful things. And of course that's, you know, in our human nature to avoid pain. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I get to avoid the pain of applying to colleges and taking AP classes and everything. Um, and so I kind of ran the idea past my grandfather on my mom's side. He had served in Korea and been in the signal corps. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to enlist. And I really had expected him to support me, you know, growing up, he had always talked to my brother about the army and said it would be so good for his discipline. And his first word to me was no. And I was Mm half expecting him to say like, because you're a woman or something like that, you know, he has some very antiquated views I don't agree with. But his answer to me was, I will not bless you going to enlist because that is the reason I couldn't finish college. It's, you know, it's what prevented me from doing that. And you are going to get an education first. And so I kind of talked tail turned around and was like, okay, I guess I got to go to college. So I had a friend at the time who was applying to VMI, the Virginia Military Institute. And I was like, hey, friend, where else are you applying? And he was like, nope, just VMI. If I was smarter, I'd go to West Point. And I was like, what's West Point? Um, and that is where it all began because I was like, okay, if he said he was smarter, he'd go to West Point. I am smarter. I can go there. 
Um, I applied to West Point and I went to their summer leader seminar. It was a ton of fun. It was nothing like the actual academy. All you do is, you know, sleep in their, in their barracks. And that's about the only similarity you have. And, um, I applied to a few other schools. I applied to Texas A&M to do ROTC. I think I even had a track scholarship to a really tiny school in Tennessee. I, I can't even remember the name of it, but I was so dead set on going to West Point. You know, I did basically everything I could. They were like, Hey, here's a list of items you, that would make you much more competitive and getting in. And one of them was like leadership, um, going to girl state. And I just signed up for everything. And I remember it being probably the busiest year and a half of my life, just trying to like fit everything in. I really hadn't been in too many leadership positions before that, but I was like, I can do this. I think, you know, and it really was nondescript. I was like, I can be a leader in the national art honor society. And it was, it was really fun. And I actually wound up making a lot of friends. Hmm. Did you even consider any of the other academies? Um, I didn't. And it was because in my same high school class, I had one classmate who was going to the Coast Guard Academy and she'd already been accepted and one who's going to the Naval Academy and he'd already been accepted. And for some reason, my family had always vacation to Colorado and that made me feel like my family was willing to go there to visit me and it was just too close. So I needed to be further away. So really West Point was the only one I had considered. Um, there was like a lack of competition in going there, although a ton of people applied to go. Um, it just made me feel like I had a little, little bit higher uh, chance of getting in. So where did that appeal come from? This appeal of like, not having to owe anyone anything because if you had scholarships to other places what was it specifically about this option of military and west point that pulled you in yeah i think it was that i was going into college applications very eyes wide open um you know I knew that a scholarship or multiple scholarships or a full ride, they were great, but there was always going to be more that cost more money. Um, mm. You know, even a full ride, there is still stuff to pay for. You know, yeah. even if you're on a sports team, there's always going to be, you're going to be paying for food somehow. It's, it's never carte blanche. It's never going to be that way. And it was my understanding at the time that, West Point really was. And not only that, but they were going to give you a little bit of cash, not a lot, but a little bit um, mm. while you were there as a student. And, and that yeah. made a difference. It sounds like you really wanted to just be independent. Like absolutely the most independent yes. possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this idea of service after graduation, was that an appeal to you? Absolutely. You know, both of my parents, um, were fantastic examples to me. My dad was a lawyer and he worked so hard to get where he was, um, you know, finally making partner. And my mom was a registered nurse. And I knew that I wanted to do something where it was going to be a lot of hard work and I'd have to climb some kind of ladder. Um, and, and I really, I think I got that from them. Mm. So what was the reaction from your parents when you told them that this is what you wanted to do? 
Uh, I remember very distinctly, you know, I came back from the summer leader seminar and I told my parents, I was like, this is where I'm going. I'm set. And my dad kind of started laughing because even though we had traveled to cold places over spring break and during the winter, we'd never actually spent a lot of time in the snow. And he's like, okay, Michelle, you know, that's, that's fine if that's how you feel but I'm going to plan a trip for you in the winter to West Point and I'll see if you still feel that way. So, you know, we had to wait until winter rolled around. We had planned this whole weekend and what they do is they basically set you up with a cadet who is there and you stay in their dorm room on this like cot. And I remember it was so cold and it snowed so hard my dad had dropped me off just in time. We were the last set of visitors to be able to be let into West Point. And we got snowed in. My dad was stuck in his hotel room and I got stuck with this cadet. And I felt so bad for her because she had to host me for like two extra days. I was <laughs> literally in the same pair of clothes for three days. And I was like, these people want to get rid of me. <sighs> and finally the gates reopened and my dad was able to come pick me up. And I remember I smelled horrible. I'm sure I was so tired <laughs> of yeah. just being there. I was like, I didn't sign up for this. And he's like, are you sure you want this? And I was like, I want four more years of this. And that wow. was that. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I feel like that would traumatize me <laughs> at that age. But wow. Yeah, yeah. I get but that's really cool though that it like really solidified, kind of backfired on your dad, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 But so but overall, were they then supportive once you kind of, you know, declared that you handled three days of this and you know <laughs> You want this for four more years? Um, you know, I think my parents kind of knew that I was the sort of person, if they told me they felt otherwise, or they felt that this was a bad idea, that I would want it even more. Mm. So I'm sure they had those feelings, um, especially my mom. You know, she really wanted to keep me safe. And, you know, I'd, I'd had a lot of classmates, and her dad had served, and so she was very aware of the dangers of service. Um, but she was very supportive. Both of my parents were so, so supportive. My, my entire time there, they really jumped in feet first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. Um, was getting in a struggle for you or did you get in pretty much right away? How did that work? No, it was actually pretty hard for me. I wound up going to a what Texas considers to be a magnet academy for language. And it's just like a high school that receives extra funding. So the students in my high school were very smart. The teachers were amazing. Classes were difficult. And I appreciated that because it really helped me be more prepared mentally and emotionally for the classes at West Point, but it did not really give me a great class ranking. And the competition was, it started very early in high school. And so I was a very hard worker, but a lot of stuff did not come naturally to me. You know, my parents got me tutors and I was always great at asking for help. And so teachers were very helpful, but I think I took the SAT like three times because West Point takes a composite score. So if you do really great in math one time and really great in writing another time, you know, they'll take your highest score of each. So I took it until I did really well. And so um, I wouldn't say it was easy. It definitely took a lot of hard work. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. But you did get in that first year that you applied your senior year, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, so you get in, um, and, uh, let's dive a little bit now into your time at the Academy. So if you had to sum up your time at the Academy in one word, what would it be? I think my one word would be sorry. When I say sorry, I mean it in like such a genuine way. I had many disciplinary issues while I was there. I'm sure I let mentors down and teachers down. Um, And I know I wasn't easy to dance with when it came to being roommates with certain folks. Um, And someone once told me, you know, sorry means change. And so when I say that word, I, I really truly mean Thank you also for helping me to change. Um, so that's, mm. that's definitely the word I would use for my time at West Point. Hmm. That's, I appreciate the explanation and we're definitely going to dive in deeper to that. Um, but before we go into some of those, it sounds like there's like some experiences that you're thinking of for sure uh, that occurred. Um, but before we go to the low lights of the Academy, let's, let's hone in on some of the major highlights that you had when you were there. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, really, I think <laughs> academically, it was so hard. Oh, my gosh. And and the teachers were fantastic. And the class sizes were fantastic. So I'm so thankful for that. But unfortunately, my highlights were not academic. Um, <laughs> you know, my yeah. highlights were definitely when it came to the extracurricular activities and sports, you know, my first two years, I was on the cycling team. And they were perfect. They were absolutely amazing. You know, they were the very clean cut team. They were the team known for some of the highest academic standing, zero disciplinary issues, except for myself. I kind of ruined that. Oops. Um, But they helped me and they really were the positive peer pressure that I needed. They were like, Hey, you're not doing well in this class. You need to go study. Don't come Mm -hmm. to practice. Go see your teacher. Um, so we traveled all over the East coast. We went to Madison, Wisconsin. I got, um, you know, all of my, my A's licensing for road track and cyclocross. And it was, it was amazing. It was fantastic. You know, there were some folks on the team whose parents looked pretty close and were very into cycling. Um, and my, my parents supported me, you know, my, I think my dad mailed me a bike. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I feel so, so supported. And, and these activities and people's parents would step in and kind of like be my, my stand in parents while I was there and my coaches and had a great coach while we were there. And that just being able to travel with them, compete with them, being part of that really like true team um, that supported me and, and all aspects of the Academy was, was fantastic. You're like, if it was so great, why uh, were you only there for two years? And for me, it became very, very competitive. You know, we were gone every weekend. It was almost year round, except for the summers when we had summer training. And I really, I I kind of had to have that conversation with myself. Like, am I here to be an Olympic cyclist or am I here to be an army officer? And, you know, I, I know there are ways of being both, but I really had to show people at the Academy, like I am here to be an army officer. And that's why I went out for and made the Sandhurst team my last two years. And, and that, 
that was absolutely another highlight. When I was on the team, we uh, won first place for the fastest team. And that was, it was such a good bonding experience. Um, and one that really, you know, we were all in the same company and hung out every day, had meals together. And again, they were like another great influence. They all were doing very well academically. Um, and it, it was almost like God was sending me the right people at the right time. He's like, I know this is the support you need. And there were so many times I looked back and was like, yep, you're right. This is, Mm. these are the people I needed, even if it's tough for me to accept that. Yeah. Okay. So, so many questions. Um, First question is Sandhurst team. What is that exactly? Yes. So named after the Sandhurst Academy, West Point decides to put on this competition every year. And typically it's very militarized. It's about two days long and it covers so much ground at West Point. There will be different things like the one rope bridge and obstacle courses and land navigation. And each company at West Point puts together a team and they have to have at least one female on that team um, and someone from every class. So it was super diverse, um, especially for most teams at West Point. And then we'd also bring in a bunch of international teams, including two teams actually from the Sandhurst Academy. So it was a, a really cool event. That sounds awesome. Huh? Sounds like fun too. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's pick up for a second. So, so definitely athletics. uh, It, it sounds like you're someone who's definitely into physical fitness and moving your body. So, so let's back up for a second and tell me about when you first got to the Academy then was, was that first summer? How was that for you? Cause you had already had some experiences with the military at West Point with that leadership training and you're physically fit. So how was that for you? Um, I think it went pretty well. I had always been in decent shape and I was, I was always a pretty decent runner. It took me a while to kind of figure out the hills of West Point just because Sugarland was so flat. We, we literally had this fake hill that was built behind our football field to run hills. And I thought that's what a hill was until I got to West Point. I was like, no, this is a mountain. (laughs) This is a straight up mountain. And so there were some runs in the beginning where I think I fell out. I like see the whole formation start to pass me. And I was like, why am I moving backwards? This is so hard. Um, but, but I, you know, I have a huge ego. And so of course I couldn't let that happen for long. And I, I finally learned how to breathe better in that air and catch up. And I really like to think I'm an adaptive person. You know, I run track and cross country and softball, um, in high school. And before that I played soccer and ballet and gymnastics. And I just kind of bounced around to so many different things that when it came to, picking up on all of this stuff at West Point, I was just like, okay, fine, throw a new sport at me. I can't guarantee I'll be great at it, but I'll, I'll try. And that went a long way. It's just, just Mm. showing people that I'll be aggressive. I'll put a ton of energy into this. And most of the time they don't really care if you're that good, as long as you're making some progression. And the other thing too, that really helped me was this was back when I think hazing was still kind of a thing, you know, I think the big rift was 2012 when they were like, no more hazing. And so I got there in 2010 and 
they could still smoke you. They could still make you do a ton of push-ups. And so if there was ever something that you messed up or a piece of knowledge you couldn't pass off or, you know, you wore your sock wrong or something, who knows, then they would just make you do push-ups or run or do some silly exercise. And I was pretty good. So I was like, all I have to do is 20 push-ups. Like, okay, that's not bad. And so, you know, just kind of having that attitude go through it. It was like someone said, you know, water off a duck's back. Mm. It was that easy to me and it really, it helped, but, and this is kind of a foreshadowing of things to come, but for women at the Academy, I quickly found that if you are a slow runner, the men on your team are going to hate you. But if you're a fast runner, unfortunately it might cause the other women to resent you. Um, mm. and that was something I, I started to learn that summer. Mm. And I, I, I think it was one of the reasons that I didn't really make a lot of female friends early during that training. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. We're definitely going to dive into that. I'm sure. Cause that sounds like, like you said, a foreshadowing. Um, but before we move, move to that stuff, um, Tell me, so you entered academic year, and I know you said that the academics were tough for you at the academy, um, but were you clear with what you wanted to major in, what your goals were? Um, how did that go? Uh, I, I don't think I was clear on much, except for the fact that I wanted to be an infantry officer. I knew that basically since day one. And the rest of it, you know, I was like, I have no idea what I want to major in. I have no idea what team I want to go out for. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't fast enough, I don't think, to try out for track at the collegiate level. I wasn't good enough at softball to try out for that. And cycling was a fantastic outlet, really played to my strengths there. And I didn't know what to major in. And I was like, Hmm, maybe I could be a nurse like my mom. And of course, I think I could have gone like pre-med or some kind of biology major, but chemistry didn't go so good. So um, I was like, okay, that's not for me. Maybe I could be a lawyer like my dad. Um, And I swung by the law department to check out their classes and everyone's like, yes, this is what you want to sign up for. All of our finals are very easy here because all you do are write papers. And I was like, I'm sold. (laughs) So Um, that became a very easy answer for me. And then also at West Point, they make you choose an engineering track. And once more, I I found that I had no idea what to do. And I really didn't even know what the words meant. Um, when I signed up for civil engineering, I was like, maybe this has to do with how people arrange a steering wheel and stick shift in a car. Mm. I don't know. For some reason in my head, I just, that was not part of my worldly experience. Um, And neither of my parents were engineers. And so I picked that and it wound up being fantastic, something I still use today even. Um, But I did not go in with a lot of clear goals. And I, to this day, I am so thankful for all of the professors and teachers and leadership I had who were like, look, I know you don't have a lot of direction, but we're going to get you there. Cadet font. We're going to get you through this. (laughs) So thank you for the guidance. (laughs) Yeah. So wait, so, so tell me a little bit about that. You have to, you have to choose an engineering tract as well as a major. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh, I didn't so know if that. you're going to graduate, yeah, because you get a bachelor's of science when you leave. So if your major is engineering, then no problem. You already got it. But for everyone else, you have to have this track that you go uh, along. So you take a lot of those classes. Got it. Um, yep. Yeah. Interesting. Whew, so it's really no escaping that math and science stuff, huh? No, I thought there would be. <laughs> There's no escape. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. King's Point's the same way. Um, oh, okay. All right. Um, okay. So... So were there any other major highlights or memorable moments you wanted to share? Yeah. You know, I think this is a good segue into our next topic. So I'll, I'll tell you about this moment. So there was this one time at school, they decided to have these military tryouts for special, um, basically courses that you could go to during during the summer. They were by tryout only. And one of them was the Ecuadorian Jungle School. You could go there instead of doing your summer rotation to shadow a second lieutenant. Essentially you would go down to Ecuador and you would go along with their, you know, to their jungle jungle school and you would get your jungle tab. And I had seen one of my friends go through this and I was like, this is so cool. I had just switched over from Arabic to Spanish. I had skipped a class even so that I could try out for this school. I had passed my interview and the, the tryouts were so hard, but because I'd been working out with the Sandhurst team, I'd been rucking in my free time and running a ton. I was so prepared to do well at these tryouts. And I was, I was crushing it. It was amazing. And one of the last events was this ruck that was two loops. It was all the way up this hill and down and then back up the hill and down. And you would finish all the way down by the river, by the railroad tracks that we have at West Point where the APFT courses. And I remember I was one of the first three cadets to finish. And there were like over a hundred of us going through these tryouts. And I was the number one person to finish who was trying out for Ecuadorian jungle school. And I was like, yes, I crushed this. I like, I was on cloud nine. It was, mm. it was so justifying to me to be like, yes, this is the hard work that pays off. And there were a lot of the professors from the Spanish department who were there, many of whom were army officers. And I see them kind of like huddle together and they're talking and they kind of like tap the female officer on the shoulder. And she like looks over at me, over at me and she comes over to me and she's like, Hey, they sent me over here so we could talk woman to woman, but we just want to make sure that you did your full two laps. Ooh. And I was like, Ooh. Uh. I'm on cloud nine. And then all of a sudden my heart is in my throat and mm. I'm like, okay, so either I'm one of the fastest people or I am literally so slow that two people lapped me. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was just like, please look at my results from the entire rest of the tryouts. So, you know, so you can clearly see I've been doing amazing and look at all of my other physical fitness scores from any other event outside of these tryouts. Mm. And I just kind of like looked at her because it was this time that my integrity was being questioned again. And it was just suddenly such a low point. Like I can't win. I can't have a good moment. 
Um, you oh. know, and then the FARC invaded Ecuador and I wound up not going <laughs> anyway. Oh. So, um, yeah. but you know, it, it, that, that was a high. I tried to maintain that moment as a high in my life. You know, I had my, my two popsicle sticks and I know I did my two laps. Um, yeah. Yeah. But eventually, that's, yeah. that's yeah. rough though. Like I, I hear you. I, I love that you're putting that in like the highlight category, but man, that is, um, I just, my heart breaks for you. Cause I can feel that like all that hard work and you really, really wanted it. And you, you know, you crossed the finish line, you crushed it. You like, I mean, you didn't just crush it. I mean, like number three, like that's crazy. And then to have it questioned, it's kind of like, oh, really? Like, really? Yeah. Uh, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. But, but I like that you put it in the highlight category, but I do feel you on this one. Um, so I think you said that that's a good segue into, it sounds like this theme that I'm hearing, and it's this integrity questioned, but also like being a strong, physically fit woman seems to be an issue that you faced. So let's dive into some of those lowlights then. Yeah. You know, for me, my lowlights at the academy definitely started even before my first academic class. Coming out of basic training or beast barracks, whatever you want to call it, um, the night before classes were set to begin, there was a group of cadets that I really kind of wanted to win over, be their friends. I didn't really have a strong group that I felt I belonged to at this time. And some of these cadets were going to be in my academic year company. And so I was like, okay, this is great. They're going to be, you know, living right down the hall anyways. Um, and they came forward with this plan. They're like, hey, we're going to change into civilian clothes. We're going to go to this tailgate. We're going to drink a little and then come back. It's going to be great. Um, and I remember, like, even now, my eyes are just kind of squinting, like, this is not a good idea. Um, I did it. I did all of it. Um, and we came back and upperclassmen were like, where were you guys? You know, and this, at this point we're in PTs and I was like, yep, it's over. It's definitely over. And yeah, of course people typically, when we break the rules, we think we're not going to get caught. And at this point I was like, you know, I do, I have an ego. That's one. And two, I do have integrity. And as hard as it was growing up to kind of come forward to my parents and be like, I messed up. I had learned from experience that saying it later was definitely worse. And so I just went back to my room and I just kind of wrote up everything. I was like, this is every way that I've messed up. And I kind of like closed out my sworn statement and I took it to my team leader and I was like, Hey, this sucks. And I'm sorry. And I did this. And, um, of course, West Point, you know, they don't have double jeopardy and just punish you like really massively for doing bad things. You know, they don't just give you one punishment. They really like to drag it out. And so I had, um, I had an alcohol board. I had a frat board because there were upperclassmen at that tailgate and we were not allowed to hang out with them. And, um, 
it was so hard. You know, I had an honor board as well because someone had come up and asked me if I was an underclassman or a plebe, a freshman, and I had said no. And I had written all of this in my sworn statement. And even now, I just feel such shame about it mm. because I really didn't have this opportunity to show people who I, who I truly was. And this was, this was it. You know, I, I took this whole picture of me and I colored everything inside the lines. I didn't leave there, leave any room for people to imagine or fill in anything else. I, I became this person. I was on room restriction. I was walking hours every single weekend. I was constantly the target of investigations and and I look back and part of me wants to be so mad like can't they just leave me alone you know I I constantly had people knocking on my door asking me if I was involved in something and I was like I'm on room restriction I've been in my room this whole time you know yeah. um but I really I had no legs to stand on I had totally cut them out from underneath myself before the school year had even started and so if if I started slipping up in a class or or anything like that, it was so hard. And I, I brought all of this negative pressure down upon all of the freshmen or plebes in my company. You know, all of the upperclassmen were so hard on us. And so much of that was my fault. And, mm. you know, I, I hated it because there were so many times that that they were punished because of me. And that was something, it was still allowed. It was pre 2012. Hazing was definitely a thing. And this was just like one instance where it was like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to my parents because you let me go there and I wanted to make you proud. And I feel like I just threw all of that away. And I, I'm sorry to my classmates because I brought down all of this negative pressure and spotlight onto them. And I was sorry to my roommate because gosh, she had to be even more squared away because I was all messed up. And, um, you know, they finally, they assigned me a fantastic mentor. And I feel like he was just given such a problem child in, in having to mentor me. And, you know, there are so many times I'm, I was sorry to him because I was like, I feel like I can't dig myself out of this grave. And I, I've done it to myself, you know, here I am holding the shovel. Um, huh. but he really, you know, and I think this has, it had, it has to be a growth mindset, you know, like even through people at the Academy being like, you haven't changed, you can't change. I just, I almost had to like shut my eyes and like squeeze my eyelids closed and be like, I can change. I can change. I can, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. You know, and for a long time, it was just, I'm sorry. Like, I could not get to, I'm ready to change. Yeah. Like, I just, I wasn't there. <laughs> and all these occasions you've shared, even the, you know, where you came in third place at that race, um, at that event, uh, all these places, it's like, you really have had to turn inward and, and like, affirm to yourself, no, I know who I am. I'm a good person. I'm a strong person. I'm a physically strong person. I'm an, I have integrity. And uh, it's just, uh, I hope now at this point you feel like you know that you're strong and you have integrity and that all those things you did, they just made you stronger in that awareness of yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but you got through that whole thing, that mm -hmm. whole mess. Uh, now, 
so tell me more about these lowlights because it sounds like that had a lasting trickle effect. It did, yeah. 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 So tell me about constantly. that. So, you know, like I said, I was on room restriction. I walked all these hours and I really like, I tried to pay my dues, you know, as much as I didn't want to owe someone for college, like I did not want to owe anyone for the wrong I had done. But also, unfortunately, because of my actions, they had made kind of, you know, the promise that I would be a late graduate. I would not be graduating in May with the rest of my class. And it always felt like this scarlet letter to me. Um, And this thing that was constantly hanging over my head, you know, but it was, it was me kind of like, like you had mentioned living that sorry. And it was really hard because West Point is not an atmosphere that is healing. It does not want you to live in that sorry. It wants you to have been sorry and to have changed already. And I get that. I do. Like once you get to the real army, they're trying to prepare you for that. Like there are some things you cannot be sorry for. Um, and I, I totally understand that. Um, so, you know, hopefully I, I shaped up in time. Yeah. Well, uh, we're so, then that's a big, a big low light. And it sounds like it, it kind of was all consuming, um, did that last all four years? You know, I think as some of the upperclassmen graduated, I, a lot of the stigma left. And of course, you know, I didn't make it easy on myself. I, there were so many times where it was either something questionable I did or, you know, I, I wasn't in, at the right place at the right time. And it was like, oh my gosh, why do I put myself in these situations? But I, you know, shaped off up enough that I was able to become my company's first sergeant, which was, that was a, a pretty good time for me. And then I became um, a PT officer for my battalion at school. And so I felt like these were finally my moments of redemption um, mm. in, in so many ways. Like, yes, I, I got stuff wrong when I first got here, but they're finally kind of treating me like I am a capable person. I hated that it took what three and a half years to kind of be treated like an adult. Um, but I, I appreciated that. And I, I needed that because there was a long time there when I was like, I'm not an adult. I don't deserve trust. I was telling myself all of the wrong things. And, and I think fortunately, you know, we had summer training and, a lot of that was the justification I needed. We had leadership that were real army officers and treated us like real soldiers. And that to me was the first time I realized that West Point is not the army. It's not mm. a lot like the army. And it was, it was sad for me, but it was also really eye-opening and gave me that hope like, okay, if I can just get through this, like mm. I can, I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, huh? I never thought of it that way, but you're right. It is very different. <laughs> like the academy is very different, and to have that kind of um, moment of clarity while you're there must have been super powerful for you. But also, like you said, a little disappointing, but also clarifying. So yes, both of those things at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
All right. So now let's talk about as you approach graduation. So you approach graduation and I know you alluded to the fact that you were really thinking you wanted to be an infantry officer, um, law degree uh, with a track in civil engineering. What was the plan as you approached graduation? Gosh, you know, all of my Sandhurst teammates were branching infantry and I really saw them as being my brothers. And so when we got our list, it was like this paper list you could fill out. All of the branches were listed. And I remember I put infantry number one. Um, and of course, at this time, like I knew they were not allowing women to branch infantry. Um, and people were always so surprised. Like, Michelle, you really should focus on putting a realistic choice in there for everything in the middle, because who knows what you're going to get. And it's true. Like I had no idea what I was going to get. I really didn't understand, you know, how I ranked compared to my classmates because I was pretty good physically, decent ac academically. And I actually wound up doing really well towards the end. Um, and like pretty decently, you know, for my military ranking. And so I remember there was this one night right before they were due to be turned in. And I went back and I was like, I should put something serious for my second choice, knowing very well in my heart that I am not going to get infantry. And as unserious as this decision may sound, someone told me that military police officers were, you know, basically infantry, which I scoff at now. So I put military police second and that was the branch I got. Mm. Interesting. Okay. So military police. So, so you graduate and did, did you end up graduating? You did not graduate on time, correct? Correct. I graduated in August. It was a very small graduation. I think there were eight of us. <laughs> so, so how, how did you feel about that? I know you kind of knew that was the case from, you know, from the very beginning that that was going to happen. Um, how did that feel though, as you actually approached graduation? Uh, you know, I, it really made me dislike myself in, in a lot of ways. I really, you know, my family was like, Hey, everyone's coming. We can't wait to see it. And I was like, can you just, not, you know, like I'll have someone take a picture and I'll send it to you. And having my parents be so excited was uh, really good for me, actually. Um, and one of the traditions for the rest of the graduates who graduate in May, they have ice cream and waffles for their final breakfast at West Point. And my parents actually drove me to this very, you know, popular restaurant um, near West Point called Fiddlesticks. If you know, you know. And <laughs> my mom ordered waffles and she brought ice cream in her purse and <laughs> made me waffles and ice cream. And so it was Aww. like, it was so touching because I know, like, I know it must've been disappointing for them to not like be there with the other thousand parents and, you know, get to see their kid, like throw their hat in the air. Um, but they were still happy. And that meant so much to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was a nice intimate experience. Right. But I get it. You know, when you're in, when you're at the Academy, you have this vision of what it's supposed to be like, and it's very hyped up this whole four year buildup. So I, I get it. But, um, so what happens? So you graduate and what happens next? Okay. So 
like most academies, we have our post night as well to figure out where you're going to go do the thing that you're going to go do. And I had done actually really well towards the end. Surprisingly, it like even surprised me. And I had gotten Fort Lewis, Washington as my first post, which was like very enviable and like the place to go. It's in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how this happened. Um, my number one choice had been Korea. And I was like, hmm. you know, a lot of people like, um, you know, living in Washington. So I bet I can trade. So I got to the basic officer leader course in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri to go to the military police, uh, Bullock or basic officer leader course. And there was a guy in my class who had a slot to Korea and he was complaining one day to the rest of his group. He's like, you guys, if I go to Korea, my girlfriend's going to break up with me. And I just turned to him and I was like, I'll trade. <laughs> And so we, we go to our small group leaders and I was like, Hey, we want to trade posts and they make it happen that day. And then I got on a plane shortly after graduation and flew to Korea. Wow. Wow. So, okay. That's a huge transition. Um, so what was that like for you? I didn't know anything about the different posts, but Camp Casey is all the way up North and all of my Katusas, my Korean soldiers, they said this was the countryside, like where the rednecks lived. And it's because there is like no city around there. And so a lot of soldiers didn't like it. And my Katusas, my Korean soldiers didn't like it because there wasn't a lot to do. But I loved it. As a second lieutenant who was single, I was like, this is awesome. Like I have all of these soldiers, only one of them has a family here. And all we do is train. Like we train on the weekends we train 24 seven. And it was just like, I'm this person with all this energy and motivation. And I finally get to experience something in the real army that that like giant rain cloud had like passed finally after like four and a half years. And I am like here finally getting the opportunity to do some awesome stuff. And it was, it was amazing. Man, what a breath of fresh air for sure after what you went through at the academy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, I only got a year there and I was so sad to leave. And I wound up going to Hawaii to Schofield Barracks for my next duty station. And I was there for about a year and a half, but the lifestyle and work environment were so different. Mm. Um, you know, as a military police officer, there was not as much field time. And that was really the tactical side where I thrived. And I worked a lot more law enforcement um, on posts. That really wasn't too much of a thing in Korea. We would, you know, it was a lot of rule enforcement over there, but it was very different in Hawaii. And, and finally working that um, civilian type of law enforcement on posts as a military police officer, I really gained a lot of empathy for law enforcement and the kind of things that they have to deal with on a daily basis. Like mm. law enforcement's not called to good stuff. <laughs> They're called yeah. to bad stuff typically. Um, and so this was very eye-opening to me. And I walked away from that experience thinking like, okay, you know what? I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I do not want to be law enforcement. So what did you decide to do then after that 
stint in Hawaii. Yeah. One day I got this email and it was from this officer. Her first name's Mary. And I was like, you know, this name looks really familiar. The name Mary sounded familiar to me in this context because when I was not able to go to the Ecuadorian Jungle School, West Point was like, well, you did so well during tryouts that we're actually going to go send you to shadow an SF battalion at Fort Bragg. So as a cadet, probably about four years prior, I had gone to Fort Bragg and I was shadowing a chief warrant officer. And he's like, you know, you're probably not going to be a chief warrant officer. So you should come check out this group of ladies with me. And I'm I'm just like scratching my head, like, what are you talking about? And we hop in his car and he drives me over to this group of women who literally are doing combatives. It was, I was actually walking into the tryouts for a cultural support team, CST, mm. and they had kind of mothballed the program for a little while, right when I commissioned. And so I thought there was no chance of it coming back. They were finally opening up combat arms to women. So there was they thought there was no need for them. So I fast forward, I'm in Hawaii, I get this email from Mary, and it's saying, come try out to be a CST. So I dig through all my stuff, I get her phone number, I'm like, I call her and I'm like, do you remember me? I'm coming to try out. So, so I passed that, that was a great first step. I fly back to Hawaii, I pack up all of my stuff, I put it in storage. And I come back to Fort Bragg for training. And it was six months of training there to basically learn how to go deploy along these um, special units in, uh, you know, overseas. And so then after the six month train up, it was a six month deployment um, to Afghanistan. And it was amazing. Mm. Interesting. So what were you doing there? So while I was in Afghanistan, I was one of the, the two team members who was set to actually train this female tactical platoon to deploy to different parts of Afghanistan alongside their special forces counterparts, who wow. were all Afghan men. That sounds a little bit more aligned with your interests moving from like what you were doing in the last, you know, your last job as an MP, for sure. Yes, this was... This was essentially for me seeing women work in a tactical manner. I was training them every single day. And I really, most of it was alongside infantrymen. And so I was like, yes, I'm finally back in it. I felt like I was back there with my Sandhurst team. And it was, it was fantastic. I finally felt like I was getting right back where I needed to be to kind of like get in line with my goals. That's awesome. Oof. So it came full circle for sure. Uh, so, so what happened? So that was just a six month deployment, right? Yes. You know, when I went through the civil affairs assessment selection, at the end of it, you can basically make the decision like, hey, I'm going to switch over from being an MP to being civil affairs. And I felt like I would be disingenuous or would have been disingenuous to my leadership if I had switched over to civil affairs. And so I decided to stay an MP. One of the biggest reasons was that I was pregnant. And this was planned, you know, um, towards, you know, right after I'd gotten back from my deployment, I got married, I'm pregnant, I don't feel like moving again. 
is there any way for me here in the training world to command an infantry company? And I thought that that uh, scenario for me would be to command a basic training company. Mm. Well, so what happened next? So spoiler, I did not command a basic training company. Um, You know, I had originally gone in for interviews to command a basic training company. And then I told them I was pregnant later and immediately it was, you know, no, you can't. Um, And I've always been one of those people who's like asking why. And I totally understand there are so many regulations around pregnancy, postpartum. And so I think the reason I got during um, that conversation was germs. Basic trainees have germs. And I kind of like squinted my eyes and tilted my head and was like, what? Um, You know, like you should see the CrossFit gym I go to, how many germs there are there. Though I, I really truly wasn't satisfied with this answer. They were like, hey, we have this other company you can command. It's still an infantry company. It's still here at Fort Benning. And I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, at this point I was like, just trying not to have the baby yet. (laughs) I was like, time is ticking. Mm -hmm. Like babies don't wait. Um, and so I got to command that company and you know, my husband and I, we are such driven go-getters. Like we're not those people who just like serve in the army in normal units, like we are those people who literally try out for deployments and we go after it and we're there with the teams who do stuff. We go outside the wire and it's, it wasn't going to be, you know, this safe, easygoing, peaceful thing if we had stayed in. And, you know, I told him to get out. He started looking for jobs. He got a job. And my goal was to continue to stay in because it really just didn't feel financially safe to get out at the same time as him. Um, and it really just wasn't going to line up. You know, the mm-hmm. army tries to be pretty good about saying, okay, two service members, you're both serving your country. We'll try to put you together sort of at the same time in the same place. doesn't always work out that well, but it wasn't going to work out because they're like, he's a civilian, so we don't care anymore. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, I was like, I have this brand new baby. I am not doing this on my own. Like I am not doing this. And I decided that I was going to get out too. And that was, you know, less than a year ago. I got out about four or five months ago now. And we've made this amazing transition to, you know, we went to Georgetown, lived in DC for a little bit, and now we live in Virginia. And so, you know, that that was it. Well, I'm curious, looking back now, how do you feel about your decision to attend a federal service academy? I feel really good about it. You know, I, as rough, rough as it may have been sometimes, um, I loved it. Yeah. Well, it certainly sent you on a really powerful track of both like personal, professional, like it's just it's been a roller coaster for sure. Um, but I am curious now because you just got out. That's still very fresh. Um, 
So, so where are you now and what's next for you? I'm a defense contractor working at the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, and I'm also a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, and I will probably do that coaching forever. And professionally, I love this job. I feel like I'm growing as a civilian, and I'm not really sure what's next. I try to keep an open mind, I think. Well, it sounds like you've got your hand in a lot of pots. So um, one of them, a big one, having a little tiny one. So um, oh yes, I am sure you will figure it out, Michelle. Um, and I'm excited to see what you do next. Um, but uh, before we go, uh, do you have any parting words for listeners? Uh, maybe a key message for your fellow Service Academy sisters? Yeah, sure. So three things, first and foremost, I'm with you. Please feel free to reach out. I'll give you all my information here in a minute. I'm here for you, no matter what it is. And two, this is from Dave Ramsey, act your wage, whatever cow loan you get, don't blow it. And finally, it's okay to change your mind. In fact, it's a good thing. So keep growing. So true. I love that one, especially that last one. Um, and what is one random fun fact about you to share with listeners? Uh, I ran the 2018 Army 10-miler race in D.C. as part of the Fort Benning mixed team when I was pregnant, and we won first place. When you were pregnant, girl, that is intense. <laughs> it, yeah, it was. <laughs> Too intense, really. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I love it. All right, Michelle, tell listeners where they can reach you. Awesome. And I always feel like Bruce Almighty when I spell out my name like this, so bear with me. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram as Michelle Thibault, T-H-I-B-E-A-U, on Facebook and Instagram as Thibault Training, and via email at michelle at thibaultraining.com. Wonderful. And I will put those links in the show notes. Michelle, it has been a pleasure. Your story is awesome. It sounds like it came full circle. I'm excited to hear this new journey and this new chapter you just started. It's going to be awesome to see where you go. So thank you for sharing your story with the Service Academy Sorority. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to visit the Service Academy Sorority website to see photos, comprehensive show notes, and contact information for each guest. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. In addition, if you enjoy what you heard here today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. And if you'd like to be featured on an upcoming episode, please feel free to submit your contact information on our website at www.serviceacademysorority.com.